What is love? If you see the definition in a dictionary, you will see that, it, that its definition is very broad, its meaning. It goes from a, just a mere feeling to a deep affection. But I think that you would agree with me if I would say that our culture today defines love mainly in connection to feeling or emotion, which has turned this word, love, into a commonplace. The flippant way in which people use this word, love, I love, fill the blank, has made it or turned it into something cheap. It is this connection of love with emotion or feeling that allows, for example, a rock star in the middle of a concert to say, I love you, or a teenage girl speaking about a boy that she barely knows and says that she just fell in love. But it is also this type of conception of love that leads a man that is married for 30 years to divorce his wife because, in his own words, he does not love her anymore. This is what love is in our society, connected with an emotion. So when, usually, when people speak about love, they usually refer to something that they feel at a particular time. You see, it can be weaker or stronger, but it shares one common thing. It varies according to an individual's emotions. It comes and goes. It's circumstantial. It's a temporal thing. For example, in the vows that are said in a wedding, unfortunately, they have become many times just an expression or a mere affirmation of what the couple feels at a particular time. That's why many times now we just think that we can choose our own wedding vows because it is an expression of what we think or feel at that time. We presuppose that we marry someone because we love the person instead of being a promise is just an affirmation of what we feel at that time. This love as a feeling, you see, it's undependable, it's short-lived, ultimately meaningless. If this is what love is, then it cannot be trusted, can it? If our relationships are based upon this type of love, imagine that your friends love you in this way, or your spouse, or your children, then there is instability, there is suspicion, there is fear. What can it mean for someone to say, I love you, if it is just a mere expression of what the person is feeling at that point? What about when difficult times come, or trials, or suffering? But in the Bible, we find a much more excellent type of love. That is the love of Jesus. So I would invite you to open your Bibles in John chapter 13. If you are using the Bibles that are provided by the church, the blue Bibles, you can find the text on page 900. Let us read together John 13, 
verses 1 to 17. John 13, 1 to 17. Now before of the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put out his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you read this gospel, you will know that Chapter 13 is kind of the turning point in Jesus' ministry. It is a time that the evangelist spends around a third of his book in the narratives that are usually known as the passion narratives. So chapter 13, we can say that anticipates what Jesus is going to do and gives us its meaning. We can easily divide the verses that we just read in three parts, which will serve at the points for today's sermon. So number one, we will see the affirmation in verse one. And this we will spend most of our time because of its importance. Number two, we will see from verses two to 11, an illustration. And number three, the exhortation. So number one, we will see an affirmation. Number two, an illustration. And number three, an exhortation. Let's start and let's read again verse 1 so that we start with the affirmation. 
Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You see, verse 1, we can say, is the summary of Jesus' ministry, and in particular, of his sacrificial death on the cross. And it is in this verse that we read that Jesus loved them to the end. And it's very interesting because if you see in this verse, there is only one main affirmation, which is, again, Jesus loved them to the end. Everything else is giving us the context so that we understand better what John is trying to say by affirming that Jesus loved them. Just follow up with me what John is saying here. Note first that it says that was before the feast of the Passover. You see, he gives us the time frame of this account. This was Thursday, which means that Jesus' arrest was imminent. He was about to be arrested, questioned, tortured, and finally put to death. This is the time frame. But it also says that Jesus, knowing that his hour came to depart from this world to the Father. And this expression is very important in the context of this gospel. His hour came. Why is it important? Because if you read this gospel, you will see that more than once Jesus says that his hour had not yet come. But if you see chapter 12, Jesus for the first time uses the expression, my hour has come. It's not in the future anymore, is present, and Jesus is feeling it. You see, Jesus knew his mission, and he knew that the time had come for him to die. John wants us to know that Jesus was fully aware of what he is about to suffer when he says that he loved them to the end. And he repeats an expression of Jesus' knowledge more than once just in this passage. See again verse 1, Jesus knew. Verse 3, Jesus knowing. Verse 11, for he knew. Verse 18, I know. Jesus was not alienated from reality when John is saying that he loved them. Jesus knew what was going ahead, and John still says that he loved them. You see, this time frame elevates the tension of this narrative. It elevates the tension that Jesus was feeling, and John wants us to know that. That he is affirming about this love when Jesus was already suffering and we can see it in the context what Jesus was feeling just turn to John 12:27 right before the text that we read when Jesus says these words now is my soul troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour but for this purpose i have come to this hour And right after chapter 13 on verse 21, it says that 
after Jesus saying these things, he was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Brothers and sisters, we can only appreciate what John says by Jesus loving them if we first recognize and understand that Jesus was a human being like you and I. His full humanity. In order for you to understand Jesus' sacrifice, you need to understand this. And I say this because in evangelical circles, it is common for us to downplay Jesus' humanity. Because we emphasize so much his divinity that many times we fail to understand the witness of the Gospels every time we say, oh, but Jesus was God. But what the evangelist wants us to understand is that Jesus in his humanity suffered as you and I suffer. That scripture says that Jesus was tempted in the same way that you and I are tempted. Go home and read, for example, Hebrews 2.17 or 4.15, which affirms that Jesus was made like his brothers in every respect. So when John is giving us this information, he wants us to understand and put us ourselves in Jesus' feet and understand his suffering. And understand that when Jesus said that he was troubled, it was not just a little bit uncomfortable. That Jesus was troubled in his soul because he knew that imprisonment, torture, and death was right before him. Brothers and sisters, remember the humanity of our Lord Jesus and imagine knowing that he was about to die, knowing that he was about to face the greatest trial and suffering that a human being was ever subjected to, and even more than that, that he was aware of it. It did not come as a surprise. He had just been rejected by the Jews in chapter 12. Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed by one of his closest friends. And even more, he knew who the betrayer was. See chapter 13, verses 11 and 21. Jesus knew that he was going to be imprisoned, tortured, crucified. And at the same time, his closest friends were completely insensitive to what was going on. So imagine the loneliness that Jesus was feeling, the pain and the temptation that he was facing. And in the middle of this, brothers and sisters, know this. There is no circumstance in your life, no suffering that Jesus does not understand. There is no moment in your life that he is not compassionate to you. There is no darkness that he has not experienced himself. So take courage because he knows. Because he understands. And because even if you do not feel it at this point, he is for you. Just as we sang today, he is interceding for you at the right hand of the Father at this right moment.
Even if you don't feel it, it is real if you are a Christian. So it is in this context of deep distress that we read these words. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now ponder on these words. In the midst of the circumstances, Jesus loved them to the end. This word, this expression, to the end, can mean two things, basically. It can be in a temporal sense that Jesus loved them up to that point, and he is going to love them until the moment that he dies. But also, that Jesus had loved them to that point, and his love will only increase because he will give his life for them. That's how much Jesus loved them. So ask yourself, what does Jesus teach us about love? Does it mean that Jesus had a neat, fuzzy feeling for his disciples? Was this love an emotion or feeling? No. In fact, we can say that Jesus loved them despite of what he was feeling. Although he was deeply troubled, he still loved them. We learn with Jesus, brothers and sisters, then Jesus' love is a covenant commitment, not a feeling. It is a deep desire, a deep affection for his people. You see, true love is more a matter of the will than what it is of the feeling. It is stronger than emotions because it is not vulnerable to great variation. It's not circumstantial. It is stable and unbreakable because it is a commitment. It is not an expression of what you feel. It's a covenant. Is that type of love that it is expected, for example, from our marriages? It's not an expression of what we feel, but it is a promise. We are affirming by faith that we are going to love our spouse no matter what happens. Because marriage was created to be an expression and a visible representation of Jesus' love for us. That despite the circumstances, Jesus loved us. How different it is from the love that we are used to hear about, isn't it? Just think even about yourself and your own temptations. Just imagine yourself in a situation of suffering. When circumstances seem to be against you. When you think that people do not understand you. When you think that it is unfair. When you think that you deserve better. When reality is not according to what you expected or wanted it to be. Isn't it not true that we are tempted to look to ourselves and make reality about ourselves? Have you realized how much we tend to evaluate the world on the basis of what we feel at a particular time? If we are feeling great, God is amazing, the world is a beautiful place. But if we feel miserable, we question the presence of God and we believe that the whole world is against us. Have you ever felt, particularly in times of trial and suffering, your world 
narrowing? Isn't it true? As our suffering comes upon us, as it increases, as the degree grows, our world, we are tempted at least, to make our world about ourselves smaller and smaller and smaller. Jesus shows us a much greater love as he loved them to the end. His love was sacrificial, as true love is. His love did not seek his own interests or his own will, as we sang today, but the interests of his disciples and the will of the Father. And someone might ask, what did he have to gain with that? Nothing. As we already affirm today in this service, he was God eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Although he was in the form of God, he did not grasp that position and that status. He was already so. He was already high and exalted. He did not need us. But because he loved us, he humiliated himself. He emptied himself, becoming like you and me. He humiliated himself by submitting himself to us, to human beings, to the point that he got imprisoned and tortured and crucified. And why? Because he loved us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus was not trapped into a situation that he could not avoid. Jesus had the power to stop it all. And like you and me in moments of trial and suffering, that many times we can't do anything to change our circumstances. In one moment, with a single word, Jesus could put an end to it all. He was fully aware of the pain that he would have to endure. But Jesus also knew the will of the Father. Jesus knew that there was no other way. Not because of him, there was no other way for us. Jesus knew that if he didn't offer himself as a sacrifice, there would be no salvation for you and me. Jesus knew that in order for us to be saved from the right punishment that we deserve for our sins, he would have to be punished in our place. Do you remember what we read already in the service from Isaiah? He had to bore our sins. So this is the perfect definition of true love that we see in the Gospel of John. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son so that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Or John 15.13 Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is love. It is dependable, secure, unwavering. This is how much God has loved each of his children. A love that is greater than our sin. So brothers and sisters, do not doubt God's love for you, even in the midst of great suffering, or even in the midst of your sin. Remember that God's love does not end and does not change. You can trust him because he will not fail you even when you fail him. 
you can trust him because he truly loves you. If he being God became a man like you and me, a human being, and more than so, he was willing to give his life for you and me, even in the midst of those circumstances. Yes, you can be sure that he will not abandon you, even if you do not feel it. Whenever you doubt his love, look to the cross where your Savior died for you. And so, having spent most of our time on point one, I promise that point two and three will be short. I have till what? Noon? Is that it? That's what you were saying? I don't know what time it is, by the way. So, Number one, the affirmation. Jesus loved them to the end. Number two, the illustration. See from verses 2 to 5, or 2 to 11. And this is an illustration of what Jesus will do on the cross, but before he does it on the cross, he illustrates it before his disciples. And so we see that Jesus does something that is perceived as really strange and weird in that context. And in order to highlight the astonishment of all, the evangelist again in this text gives us additional contextual information. So he tells us two important things that we should know. When Jesus is eating with his disciples and he decides to get up, take part of his clothes, put up a towel and starts to wash the disciples' feet. And the evangelist gives us two important affirmations. Number one, the evangelist tells us on verse three that Jesus knew who he was. Again, Jesus is not alienated from reality, but he is not alienated also of who he is. He was fully aware of his identity as the sovereign Lord of all things. He knew that he had come from the Father and that he was going back to the Father. Meaning, Jesus knew he was God. But we see also this on verse 2. So this is the context in which Jesus humiliates himself. One, he knows who he is. And number two, that Jesus knows his mission, his ministry. Again, the repetition that Jesus was fully aware of this. He was fully aware of who he was. He was fully aware of what he was going to do. So at some point we see in the text that during supper, the Lord Jesus, God made man, the creator and Lord of all things, in his humanity, surprises his disciples. He, le he leaves his place, he takes out his outer garments, he picks a towel, he fills a basin with water, and starts to wash the disciples' feet. And I want you to imagine the silence and the astonishment in the room. What is he doing? Most of us here know this episode. Let us just think of it afresh just for some moments. You see, washing people's feet was a common practice. 
But feet were considered a dirty part of the body, as you can imagine. It was seen, washing people's feet was common, but at the same time seen as probably the most humiliating task that anyone could do. Just so that you have an idea, not even Jewish, Jewish slaves were forced to wash people's feet. It was a task that was only for Gentile slaves because it was so humiliating. They believed that they should not force anyone among their people to do that. It is even sad that at one time, the mother of a known rabbi took his son to court because she wanted to have the honor of humiliating herself to wash his feet. But he said that he would never allow her to do such a thing because it was so humiliating. So they went to court. But this is just to say that I know that you and I live in a society that we don't care much about authority. But this was the most humiliating thing that someone could do. So imagine the astonishment when they come to have supper together there was no one low enough to wash each other's feet. No one expects the other to be the one to wash the feet of the brothers. And then we see that it is Jesus of all those who are present, the master, the teacher, their Lord. You see, everyone could discuss who was the greater among themselves, but everyone, I think, would agree that Jesus was the greater of them all. And so it is him, the Lord Jesus, who leaves his place and starts to do that duty. What a humiliation. You see, we might downplay, and even sometimes as we read it alone or we read it out loud, and we might think of Peter just being dummy Peter again, right? When he says, no, 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 you will never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you cannot have a part with me. And he says, oh, no, wash me whole. Now also my hands and my head and so on. But let me propose something. That Peter is actually just verbalizing what everyone else is thinking. That in this situation, you know the one who is being actually socially awkward? is Jesus, is not Peter. He is doing something that was completely against social norms and expectations. Jesus is the one who the disciples are embarrassed of, not Peter. So co compare it also and contrast it with our society's attitude and actions. Your own attitudes and actions with Jesus' attitude and actions. You see, love is a sacrificial gift. And this truth can be applied at all levels of our life. At work, in the church, friendship, families. We live in a culture that we are used and taught to fight for our rights. To look for ourselves. But then we come to Jesus and his love. So it is important that we ask ourselves... What do you mean then when you say that you love your spouse or your children or your friends or your church? 
Or when do you say that you love someone? Are you referring to your sacrificial devotion to someone or something that you are feeling? Do you love them because they fulfill your needs and interests? You see, in our own selfishness, we tend to evaluate things on the basis of what we can get out of it. And many times when people say they love someone, they just mean how pleased they are with someone at a particular point. Do you see the contrast with the Lord? He had nothing to gain, but he came to serve, not to be served. Think, for example, about your relationship to this church. What is the basis of your covenant commitment to this church? Are you here while you are satisfied with the service provided to you? Or is your attitude the opposite? You come to serve, not to be served. And that's where we get to the final point, the exhortation. And basically, I will leave you with the text in just one or two observations. You can find it, and we will read it again, verses 12 to 17. And let the word of God speak for itself. So after Jesus does the washing of the disciples' feet, we read verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put out his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so also out to, uh, so you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What Jesus was teaching his disciples and teaches us today is that the degree of our understanding of our salvation of how much we understand what true love is, is measured by the degree in which we practice it. It's not a matter of how much you can articulate it with your mouth, although that is important. But the measure actually, according to Jesus, the measure is how much you practice it in your life. The degree of your understanding of Jesus' love will be measured by the degree in which you practice it. If you serve much, you understand how much Jesus served. If you love much, you understand how much Jesus loved you. According to the Lord Jesus, the one blessed is not the one who just intellectually knows it, who is able to affirm it in very beautiful words. The one blessed is the one who loves as Jesus loved us. And it is true, you cannot love others as Jesus loved you if you don't know about Jesus' love for you. But when we truly understand it, when we truly believe the great love with which God loved us, then his love 
controls us, constrains us, because we know that Jesus gave his life for us. And we come to understand that he died for us so that we might no longer live for ourselves, but that the ones who live now might live for the one who died for us. So the same question is asked of you today. Our Lord continues to ask you, do you understand what I have done to you? Let us pray. Father, we thank you because you have loved us to the point that you sent your only son to die in our place, to live the life that we could never have lived perfectly, but also to die the life that we should receive, the punishment that was ours that fell upon him. Father, help us to understand it with our minds, but help us also to understand it in our hearts. And help us as your people to love others and you as you have loved us. In Christ's name, amen.